Hello and welcome to the podcast. My name is Matty Lovell and I do quickly want to preface today's episode because we talk heavily about mental illness and depression. And look, if you are listening to this today and you are going through something or you do have something on your mind, I just want to give you a little bit of information because you can free call or text 1737 24 hours a day and you can talk to a trained counsellor about anything that's on your mind. Night or day, just free call or text 1737. You'll go straight through to a trained counsellor and they can talk to you about anything that might be on your mind at the moment. Take care, be well, and I hope you take something out of the podcast. Hey everyone and welcome to the podcast. This episode is proudly brought to you by well, anybody. We are currently looking for a sponsor for the Road to Success podcast. So if you, an organization or business you know or are involved with might be interested in finding out some more information about sponsoring the Road to Success podcast, then please contact me online either via mattylovell.com or you can find me on Facebook or Instagram too. We can start to go over how things might work and have you or your business sponsoring the Road to Success podcast. Until then, enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Road to Success podcast. My name is Maddie Lovell. Thank you so much for joining me today as I chat with Silver Fern and mental health advocate Ericana Peterson. Ericana, thank you so much for being here. No, thanks for having me. Now, I guess I'd like to start with a little bit, um, you know, about your background because, you know, a, a lot of people are going to know you as a, you know, as a netballer and a silver firm, but I guess I'd like to sort of understand, you know, before that happened to understand a bit more about you. So, you know, growing up, did you, just, was netball always the, the goal, the dream? Yeah. So I grew up um, in Auckland, a family of seven, so quite a big family, um, and we kind of were pushed into playing at least one sport. Um, I started playing netball when I was eight years old. And from then on, I think the dream was always to be a silver fern for me. Ever since I touched a netball, um, that was it. That was the only sport I wanted to play. Um, and probably the only sport I did play actually throughout high school. I touched on a little bit of basketball, but wasn't very good at it. So I just kind of stuck to netball. Yeah. And so you played at high school and then straight out of high school, did you did you make a, a sort of professional team or did you you go into like a development squad or do you sort of pursue you know more traditional like studying or university? Mm. Yeah, well in year 11 I made uh, New Zealand secondary schools um, and then year 12 and year 13 played New Zealand secondary schools as well um, and then in year 13 I made the New Zealand under 21 squad so it was kind of like just followed the pathway, the typical pathway I guess mm -hmm. um, and in year 13 actually I trialed for the Northern Mystics back in Auckland. And while trialing, I actually sustained a major injury on my ankle. So I had to have two surgeries um, and then came back the following year and was chosen in the Northern Mystics. So played there for a couple of years and then made the move down south to the tactic. Yeah. So you were like 17 or 18 and you were pretty yeah, much. Yeah. Yeah. So early days. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Straight into it. And what was that like? You know, I, I don't know. I've never been in a professional netball team. Team, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, is there um, is that is that is that a common sort of journey? Are, are a lot of the girls quite young. Um, these days, yes, I see a lot of people coming out of high school now and going straight into ANZ. Um, I think looking back now, though, I wish I had taken a little bit longer because I probably wasn't. Uh, 
mature enough, I guess, in terms of netball, but also outside of life. I, I wish I had enjoyed those first couple of years. Um, you know, I obviously studied as well, um, but wish I kind of had that uni experience, I guess, um, and I did miss out on that. So, yeah. Yeah, well, it's kind of, um, you know, I've had a few sort of athletes on the podcast that have, you know, had similar stories, pretty much gone straight from high school. And um, and, and you'd look back now and say, I sort of missed out maybe. But also, I think that's kind of what it takes, isn't mm. it? You know, exactly. like it's like that's the sacrifice yeah. you kind of have to make if you want to perform at a really top level. Exactly. And I do remember um, Teodoha Keenan, who was the coach of the Silver Ferns and coach of the Northern Mystics as well. And I remember her saying to us in year 13, it's not a sacrifice if this is what you want, you know, and you do have to make, you know, you do have to miss out on these experiences if you want to make it to the top level. So yeah, I, I did understand that. But also I think looking back, I was like, oh man, I really wish I had gone out a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, it's worked out really well for yeah. you. And so, and so then you moved down to Canterbury. Yes. And you've played here for seven years. Yeah. You said, and then, um, and then you became a silver fern. Yeah, tell us about that. What was it like when you when you found out? Uh, it was actually kind of weird. I was in Samoa for a holiday with my best friend, actually, and I received an email from Nolene, and she said, um, "Could you come?" and just train with us next week. So I had to change my flight. I was actually going to say no. I don't know why, um, but I came back early from my holiday, went to this training camp, and I didn't realise that they had already chosen 11 players for the Constellation Cup, and there was one spot remaining. So I was actually in this trial, you know, trialling for this one position, and I think it was a blessing in disguise for me because I just went in um, with an open mind. I was just having fun, just doing something that I loved. Um, and it, by the end of the camp, I went and had my one-on-one and she told me that I had made it and I couldn't believe it. I think I said to her, is this a prank? And she laughed and, you know, I cried and she started crying as well. So it was just an amazing moment that I'll always remember. Yeah, that's cool. And, and it's, it's quite interesting you say that, isn't it? It's like that's the, you know, you sort of thought it was a bit of a throwaway thing. You're yeah. just in this training camp and without the pressure to sort of do it, you end up performing at your, at your very exactly. best. Exactly. And I think that's something I've taken away from it as well. Yeah, have fun. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, was was there pressure, you know, if we go back before that, you know, so there wasn't much pressure on you during this particular training camp because you didn't have much expectations. Did you have expectations leading up to that? Like, you know, from, from obviously you were very successful and, and very good from a young age and you worked very hard was there pressure on you you know coming out of high school did you feel like you know you it was this this big opportunity and you were sort of bearing you know quite a heavy weight or did you just feel like was that always your attitude you seem very bubbly is that is that what you've always been like yeah I guess I did feel pressure because I had always wanted to be a silver fern and I guess the pathway for me was uh, New Zealand secondary schools, New Zealand 21s and in my head it was just a natural thing to then become a silver fern Um, and it took me a while to just make my debut so I think I had played in the ANZ for six years before I actually got a little taste and you know I've only got one cap to my name so far so um, yeah I did feel a lot of pressure and my family you know, we'd go to family dinners and events and everyone would say, oh, you know, Ericana, the future silver fern. So I guess that was a big weight on my shoulders that I just, I was carrying my family's expectations as well, I guess. Mm. Um, so when I did get that little taste, it was just, I guess, relief. 
I felt. Yeah, yeah. Did you did you text your call your family right after you found out? Yeah, so they did say, don't tell anyone. You can't tell anyone. But of course, I called my parents. Um, I called my um, boss as well. And I said, I'm probably not coming to work next week. Um, so yeah, they were in shock, I think, actually, just because I had come back from this holiday. Um but they were also very, very proud. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, and, and, and you know, you said you had to call your boss, so I didn't realise you are working this whole time. Yeah, yeah. So I study part-time and I work part-time as well. So I work at Performance Physio um, just at reception 10 to 15 hours a week in and around trainings. Um, and I also study a Bachelor of Commerce at Massey University. So it kind of keeps me busy. And I guess I was very grateful that I had those things when I did rupture my ACL last uh, season, um, just to kind of fill that void, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit. You know, you, you'd had your, you'd sort of tasted, you know, playing for the Silver Ferns and then you're back playing for Canterbury and and, and tell the story for someone who who maybe doesn't quite know. Yeah, so uh, end of 2018, I did make my debut for the Silver Ferns um, and just that little taste, I guess, made me train so hard over that off-season. I remember putting in so many hours um, back at home I came back the following season the fittest, the strongest, the fastest I had ever been. Um, And in the first game of the season, four minutes into it, I twisted my knee. And I think deep down inside, I knew that I had done my ACL. I had heard about this pop that people feel whenever they do their ACL, um, but was also in denial a little bit. I just thought maybe I've just, you know, twisted it or sprained it. But as soon as I walked off court, I was like, no, this is this is quite serious. So, yeah, went off to the sideline and, and did the tests that you do. Um, the doctor came along and tested it and he said straight away, you've done your ACL. And I just remember bawling my eyes out on the sideline while the game was still going on. Um, And my parents saw me cry as well, and I think they knew that it was quite serious. Yeah, and so what happened from there? Um, So from there, I had to rehab. Um, I waited, I think, a month and a half before I had surgery, which is quite long these days, especially for athletes, um, to wait that long. And I think in that time was when it really, really hit me. And it was a bit of a grieving process because something so important to me had just been taken away. Um, So yeah, shock, denial at first, and then just sadness and grief after that. It was, yeah. Yeah, I mean, a month and a half is a long time just to sit there and, yeah. and not feel like, I mean, once you have your surgery, it kind of feels like you're on the path of recovery. Exactly. But six weeks sitting there just going, you know, what am yeah. I doing? What's happening? Yeah, and physically it probably was the best thing for me because I could get my leg really strong for surgery um, and come out the other end great. But mentally it really took a toll on me, just exactly like you said, just sitting there and waiting for the surgery to happen so that you could actually continue your rehab. Yeah, and um, you know, did you anticipate that there would be a, an element of, 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 of mental adversity to a physical injury? To be honest, I think I thought that it would just be physically hard. Um, there was a girl in my team, Timalisi, who also ruptured her ACL the year before. So I think she was in about her 
fifth or sixth month of rehab and I had seen what she had gone through, but I didn't see the mental side um, and you often don't see the mental side and, and she hadn't spoken about it as well. So I would just see her in the gym and she was doing so well um, and that was kind of what I went through as well. I thought the physical side of it was actually quite easy um, and I didn't have any hiccups as well. It was just all mental, mental and emotional. Yeah, it's, I know, off the I mentioned that I had a, an injury as well a number yeah. of years ago. And, um, you know, that was something I just never anticipated that, you know. And and I, I found the physical side of a recovery relatively easy. And it's mm. quite easy to comprehend. It's mm. like, you know, the, a physio or a doctor or a rehab specialist gives you the exercises. Yeah. And you do them and you see progress you know mm. you start being able to lift more weights and you yeah. can see the muscles in your exactly. legs start to work and it's quite it's quite a noticeable return to I guess your know, normality yeah. but um you know I certainly in the same boat as you had no expectation that there would be you know any form of, of mental adversity and and you know at your age you're at and the 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 career you're mm. you're, you're pursuing it's certainly not something that you you ever anticipate um and so what happens now? So you're, you're dealing, you're, you're struggling, obviously. You know something's up, you know, mm. obviously with your leg, but obviously something internal in your head as well. What do you mm. sort of do from there? Yeah, well, it wasn't until I think a couple of months after my surgery that my physio called me and I think she had noticed that I was a bit different. It wasn't my, you know, bubbly self. Um, and she asked me, are you okay? How are you going? And it was the first time that someone had asked me, I think, how I was feeling. Usually you get people going, how's your knee? What are you up to now? And it was never about how I'm feeling. And in that moment, I just bawled my eyes out. And I was like, I'm not okay, Shiz. I need help. Um, so it was cool because I guess in that moment, I felt like a weight had been lifted off my shoulder because I had told someone and I wasn't, you know, keeping it inside of me. Um, and we sat in a park the next day and I just talked for three hours, I think. And it was just so nice to have someone listen, you know, not necessarily give me advice, but just listen to how I was feeling um, because I hadn't been able to get that off my chest. So I guess that was like the first step in me um, finding out that I was going through depression. Um, and after that, seeking help from a doctor and and letting my teammates know as well was really important for me. Mm. It's 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 I don't know, funny is not the right word, but it's interesting, isn't it? That um, you know you you injure your leg and there's so much sort of you know support and and, and places you can go and people you can talk to and doctors and physios, particularly yeah. you know with your role and and there's so much going on and it's it's really obvious that you've got an injury to your leg, yeah. you know. But then something happens, you know, internally, mm. mentally, and all of a sudden. And it's like, you know, it takes someone really close to you to actually mm. figure out, you know, you're not right. And yes. and gosh, doesn't it sound like a simple thing? How are you? Yeah. And all of a sudden, yeah. the floodgates yes. open. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, you know, again, so what happens from there? So you, you figure out, you have this wonderful conversation with um, Sharon. Yes. I understand it's almost like a second mum to you. Yes. Yeah. 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 And so you're, you're obviously very appreciative of that relationship mm -hmm. and and then you move forward and, and, and you figure out there's probably something going on and then you go to a doctor. Mm -hmm. What do you say to a doctor? Yeah, well, I was actually really... It was funny, actually, because I had booked this appointment to see my doctor the following day, um, a couple of weeks, you know, before having this chat to Shaz. Um, 
and she said, do you want me to come with you? And I could have taken the easy road because honestly, if she hadn't come with me, I don't think I would have actually said anything. Um, But she did come along and I sat there and just cried. And I think my doctor kind of (laughs) gathered that I was going through a little bit of depression then. Um, but just, it was it was nice, actually, because my doctor's quite wacky. Um, and the fact that she said, oh, yeah, I've gone through depression as well. Like, you'll, you'll be surprised at how many people come in here. And, you know, there's a lot of people, especially in Christchurch, um, that go through depression. So I guess just to normalise it was a relief for me because in my head I was thinking, I'm so weird. Like, why am I feeling this way? And I had never really, I guess I was a bit ignorant when it came to mental health because I hadn't gone through it, but I didn't understand how people could get so low in their life. It just didn't make sense to me until I went through this journey, um, which in hindsight was has really put me in good stead, I reckon, for life. Yeah. Um, and what I what came out of it for me was that, you know, mental health isn't this destination. It's just this continuous journey. And I think, you know, it's not that I don't go through bad days now. It's just I know what to do and I have these tools behind me to help me get through those really bad days. Yeah, that's, that's super interesting. Yeah. And it is... Um, you know, you, you talk about um, you know feeling an instant sense of relief when mm. you you know you tell a doctor or someone, and um, you know I, I said to you, and I, I've been through a similar situation, but I had no idea, so mm. I didn't. I, I just had all this stuff going on. I thought I was just, I was just, you know, it was actually my partner said to me like, "You're turning into a real." Dickhead, yeah. you know, like you're, you're not very fun to be around, and <laughs> yeah. and you need to sort yourself out, and um and so that was when I went there and I sat with a doctor, and um you know I still think you know it's interesting the point you brought up there's, there was there's still a bit of stigma attached to it yeah. as well, and particularly someone in your position and your mm. role and someone who's very you know openly and obviously bubbly and happy, and all mm. of a sudden to be given this like oh you've got depression, I yeah. certainly felt like. Labeled maybe is the right word. Yeah. You like, and, and I, I really didn't think that it fitted my personality. Yes. I was like, I'm not meant to be the person. Like I've seen the ads on TV, but yeah. it's not me. And it's, it's a, it's as much of a journey of acceptance in that mm. first, first wee while. Like, well, for me, it was anyway. Yeah. Um, to discover that, and then, um, so what was, um, you know, if you're open and happy to share, it, it's mm. fine. If you're not, but what was the, what was the recommendation from, from the doctor? So you, you, you obviously had a good chat with your sort of mentor and friend. Yeah. Figured it out. You've gone to the doctor. You've had the courage. You've gone right. This is sort of what's happening. What's the the next step? Yeah. So when I went to the doctors, um, she prescribed me with antidepressants, and I think when she did prescribe me with them, I was a bit taken back because. It just felt, like you said, it just felt like I wasn't supposed to be going through this and it felt weird to be taking, you know, these pills that help you, you know, not necessarily be happier. But I think once I started taking them, I was just able to breathe. I was able to stay afloat, whereas before I just felt like I was drowning and I I couldn't breathe. It was almost like I've had a concussion before. I was just in the state of fogginess the whole time. And it's weird to think back now, actually, that last year, I actually can't remember many things. It was just like I was I had a concussion for about six months. Um, But once I did start taking, you know, my antidepressants, I could just think clearly. And I, um, I said to someone the other day that 
at night was the worst because that was when I was just thinking so negatively. And usually I love nighttime because I can go to sleep. I'm a big sleeper. Um, but this is when all my thinking was was being done and I couldn't sleep. And then I also couldn't eat, you know, I think eating was something that I could control and I really did control it. Um, I think I lost about eight kilos throughout my whole rehab journey, um, which was, yeah, which was massive for me. And I guess it, it, performance wise, it really hindered me because I lost so much muscle. Um, You know, I, iron levels were so, so low as well. So um, just simple things like telling my flatmates actually um, that I was having, troubles eating and they notice that as well. I mean, you know, you're living with these people and they notice when you're not eating dinner or, you know, I'd have a bite of a sushi and then leave the rest of it out. Um, So just, you know, having that, those people that could keep an eye on those little things. Yeah, it's it's an interesting description you talk about being in in fog. It is, because it is really hard to, it's, uh, when you look from the outside, it's so obvious when you talk about your flatmates, your family, your friends, your work colleagues, and you can look at someone and you can go, well, it's it's so obvious something's not right Mm. with them, but when it's you, it's quite a difficult. You just because yeah. it's such a gradual process of yes. decline of of, of happiness. Yeah. You don't, it's not like a bang, your arm's broken, and you know yeah. it's obvious. It's such a gradual decline, and all of a sudden, you're just trying to figure out what's going mm. on. I, the the analogy I felt like was I just felt like I was in a in like a rut, and I, and mm. I every time I tried to get out, I just fall back down yep. into it. You know, and either side, I anything I tried, and, and the fogs are um, an interesting analogy as well, yeah. and. Um, yeah, and I think it's an interesting point you bring up about medication as well because it was the same for me. They mm. prescribed medication, and I was like, "I'm not meant to be on antidepressants. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. this is not this is not me." <laughs> yeah. And it's you know, like yeah, it's something that you know people take in the movies or in America, mm. or whatever it is. And um, but I think it's a you know, obviously, I mean, I don't know chemically what's going on when we when we're depressed when we're depressed, but I, I feel like the medication just just sort of. Gives you the right balance to yeah. be able to think clearly because it's so hard to actually think about what you're trying to do or what you want to do or how you can get better mm. when you've got this going on. And for me, it felt like at least that the medication allowed me to at least assess the situation yeah. properly. And then, and then, so telling people was it's interesting that was effective for you as well and, and yeah. some people close. So I had an interesting experience. I told a couple of people and it was like, again, like you said, a weight off your shoulders. Yeah. But then I started telling everyone, like thinking yes. it was a good idea, like, hey, just let you know I'm going through depression. And, I, and then some people were like, oh, yeah. like stand backish. And so I guess my learning was that, yes, tell people, but tell people people that are close to you to start with and make it a very much a, um, you know, a, a small team that you've got supporting you. Yeah. And I think I did the same mistake as well, because once I told people, I thought, oh, maybe I need to tell more people so that I feel better. But then once I told people, I was almost just reminded every day that I was going through depression, um, which made it worse. And I think I really struggled with that um, once I did tell you know, more than my close friends and and family as well. Um, it almost yeah did make it worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. I just told the wrong people. I think. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Because I was the same as you. I thought that. Well, I've told some people and it's made it so much better. Maybe I'm telling more people yeah. will make it heaps better. Yeah. Um. And so and so then what happens? Like, how long are you um on medication for? Mm-hmm. How, how like do you start incorporating other sort of activities to help get better? Yeah. So then I started seeing um a psychologist um which. Was 
was really helpful. I thought that if I saw someone outside of netball, so the psychologist wasn't attached to netball, that I could just, it was a way of, um, I could actually be myself. I guess when you have psychologists that are attached to netball or attached to your team, you kind of feel like, oh, will they then tell my coach who will then think, oh, maybe we shouldn't select her this week because, you know, she's having a really tough time. Whereas I kind of wanted it to be someone independent. So I started seeing someone on a regular basis, um, I think once every two weeks. And once I started to feel better and feel like myself again. I kind of went to once a month and I still continue to see her um, now. Um, And then I think, I can't really remember how long I was on the medication, um, but I did have a stint off it. And then finals happened this year, actually. Played the worst game of my life. We lost. Um, And just to be proactive about it, I started taking them again. Um, So I do do use them um, in a proactive way, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's a... um I found coming off them is quite a because it's 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 hard instantly you take away that that, yeah. that chemical yeah. that's that's supporting you and making you feel good, mm. um, and I tried several times to stop but I just yeah. I could instantly feel you know bad again, um, and so um, I started taking them. I didn't um, have a psychologist or anything. How did you you know like uh, it's a bit more of a specific question, but mm. how did you find a psychologist like? You know, and I just ask that because if someone's listening, going, "Oh, well, that sounds like a good idea." Mm. Like, is there? And obviously, you're outside netball, which is great, and that's an interesting point you bring up about them not wanting to have an agenda about your yeah. performance as well. Um, like, do you just jump on Google, or do you ask a doctor? Or yeah, so I went. Um, our sports doctor Leslie Nickel, um, who also used to play netball, did a little bit of research for me, and she gave me a list of people actually who I could contact. So I kind of looked up everyone, and just kind of went for what I felt, who I felt I would connect with a little bit more. And I was just lucky that on the first go, it was the perfect person for me. Um, and I had seen psychologists in the, you know, in the past that I just couldn't connect with. Um, but I would just continue to see them because I thought that was the right thing to do. So seeing someone who, you know, you can connect to and and express yourself to um, just makes it so much easier. And sometimes you're not going to get it right the first go, you know, that person might not be the person for mm-hmm. you, um, but you've just kind of got to, it's trial and error, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it totally is. And so you found the right person. Mm. And so you, um, I was at the final um, last year. Oh, I saw, I saw um, Oh, no, it was, it was, it was, it was a good game. It yeah. was a good game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah for the um, pulse it was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, no, from where, I mean, from where, you know, if you rewind to where Canterbury was a few mm, years ago, you know, yeah. it's, been a, it's been a fantastic season, particularly under the circumstances. Mm. But, um, and so it's interesting you talk about using them proactively now. Um, you know, is that, um, is that, uh, is that, common do you know like is that what your doctor recommended hey if you ever sort of encounter some adversity use this as a bit of a yes and my psychologist as well actually so I think I saw her the week after the finals um and obviously just 
wasn't in the best place. We had just lost the finals, had played poorly, um, and she suggested I take start taking them again. So, yeah, I, I wasn't afraid this time to take them like mm-hmm. I was last time because I knew that would be helpful for me. Yeah. Um, and I was on them for, I think, two or three months, and then I slowly just um, went off them and, yeah, felt fine. Yeah. It's interesting. There's still, like, even if we talk about it now, there's, like, a stigma a little bit, you know, like, if you had a headache, you take a Panadol I and not know. think anything of it, would yeah. you? You go, oh, my head's giving me grief. I'll, you know, have a Panadol and you wouldn't yeah. think of anything of it, but, you know, because it's a, you know, it's a it's a bit different. Um, and so, you know, uh, is there anything else that you did? Obviously, the, the medications and I, I think, an important part to help get you over that initial hurdle and get you onto the right thing. Is there anything else, like, during that that time that, that particularly helped you? Obviously, I know you probably had support from, you know, your, your, your equally second mum, yeah. um, you know, from her. You've got the medication. You've told a few people. Is there anything else that you started doing or, or, or sort of continued doing during that time that you found really beneficial? Yeah, well, it's funny. I obviously have been in Christchurch for seven years um, and in that time I would call Christchurch my home but I suddenly had this yearning to spend time with my family and go home, home, back to Auckland. So literally every weekend, I it was quite expensive, but I flew home just to get that family time. Um, and I felt like, you know, I was filling my cup up for the rest of the week um, in a way. I also got this tattoo on my thumb. Um, it's the OM sign. Um, and it was just a reminder for me to breathe. I think just in this chaotic world where we're always trying to move on from emotions or trying to move on from, you know, different events or scenarios that happen in our life. It's just so good to just be and just be present. And I think that was a big learning for me through my journey, uh, my rehab journey of just, you know, actually sitting here and being grateful for everything that I have. You know, I've got a roof over my head. My family are healthy. I'm healthy now. So, yeah, it was it was a good reminder, actually. And I think a few friends took the mickey out of it at first, um, but I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's very cool. I was going to ask you about it. But um, so where did you where did you learn that? You know, where did you, where along that process did you figure out that, um, you know, gratitude, that being present, that being engaged mm. in what's in front of you was beneficial to your mental health? Yeah, well, I think, you know, as athletes, mindfulness is a big thing that we um, learn. And I'll be completely honest, until my rehab journey, I never really did mindfulness. I just thought it was a whole lot of crap, to be honest. Um, But I guess when I was in this moment, when I was just, I guess, at the lowest point in my life, that was the thing that kept me surviving, I think. And I think every day it wasn't about thriving for me. It wasn't about being my best. If I could just survive in those, you know, first few months out of rehab, then I was doing really, really well, Um, which is very unlike me because I just want to be thriving every day. I want to be the best every day. Um, But just for that moment, I just had to survive, I guess. Yeah. And what did your mindfulness practice look like? Um, So I had to download an app um, and... I would put three alarms on for the day, one in the morning, one in the afternoon and one at night. Um, And I would literally just sit down or lie down on the grass, press play and just listen. Um, 
to the instructions. Um, and, you know, thoughts would constantly get into my head. And it's so hard because mindfulness is all about, you know, not judging your thoughts and, and trying to just be very clear. But there's like a million thoughts going through my head every day. Um, so it just, it was a good opportunity for me to just to clear my head, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we had, I had Tim Bateman on here and he's, oh, you know, he's a very interesting yes. guy and, and yeah. an amazing man. And and he, um, he's, he articulated it very well. He said that um, mindfulness or meditation is, is not the absence of thought, but it's about observing your thought and then trying to, uh, you know, he said, he said, if your mind starts wandering and then you pull it back to your breath or whatever it is mm. that you're focusing on. He said, think of that as a rep in the gym. That's a bicep yes. call or a squat or whatever it is. And I thought that that is so perfectly articulated because yeah. that's what it feels like because you lie down or you sit there and you try and close your eyes and next minute you're a butterfly or breakfast yeah. or something yeah. comes into your head and you're, you're, you're thinking about tacos or something yeah. stupid. You know, you're yeah. like, where did that come from? And, yeah. and you go, gosh, I'm not doing very well at yeah. this. But then from that moment when you're thinking about tacos and you you pull it back and you go focusing your breath mm. even if it's only a couple of breaths you can yeah. do before it wanders again that's like a repetition yes. um yeah I, I didn't find mindfulness until after um one thing that really helped me was exercise yeah and it was probably something that you were doing because of your you know you're a professional athlete you know yes. um but for me it, it was nothing that i'd um i'd really been exposed to and, and what happened was I kept going back to get refills of this prescription and I was yeah. actually overseas and I had to go and see a doctor to get the prescription and I was in France and the, and the doctor just said um, you know are you trying to get off them and I said yeah but I keep struggling and because I would decrease my dosage did you do that did you slowly you slowly start? decrease yeah yeah, yeah. so <laughs> snap a pill in half yeah. and, then, and then quarter and then like <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 make a real mess yeah 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 so I did the same but every time I started getting you know on these smaller things I would start feeling bad again so mm. Um, he gave me really good advice. He said, um, "He said start exercising. He said the, mm. the, the the smaller you take, more exercise you should do." Yeah. And so I just started running, and I wasn't really a um, a runner by any means at that stage. And um, and I just started running, and 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 the more I dropped off the the medication, the um the the, the further or, or more yeah. often I went. Not not I wasn't running huge distances, but yeah. just the frequency of it, which was really beneficial. And then I didn't know it at the time, but I guess I was doing a form of mindfulness. I came up with this weird concept where I would like it sounds stupid to say, but I would like think of breathing in green and breathing out red. Yeah, and so I nice. kind of felt like I was and I found it it's called colour breathing. It's actually yeah. a, a thing. But and so I kind of felt like I was breathing in like positive stuff and yeah. breathing out the, the bad stuff. stuff. Yeah, yeah, for some weird reason. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I mean, for me, there was one particular day and I went for a run and I finished at the end and I did the last breath and I was, because I always do this breathing after my running, yeah. and I did the last breath and I felt like I, I felt it was weird. I was like, I, I breathed out green again. That's what it felt yeah. like. I said that I breathed in green and green came out and yeah. I was just instantly, I opened my eyes and I was like, I'm wow. done. Yeah. And it was like this beautiful moment. And I was, yeah. I remember it and I'm just like, I was like, I'm done. And I'd yeah. worked my way down with the pills and I'd done all that. And I just went, wonderful. That's that, awesome. That's, that's, yeah. that's now. And, um, and you know, it sounds like that's sort of a, a journey you're on as well mm. with, you know, your mindfulness and the, um, obviously with the, um, you know, the work you're doing with the team as well. Mm. And then, um, you know, I didn't, yeah, I, I went back and forth on them a little bit, yeah. but um, but it's interesting that they've given you that advice. I, I didn't know you could really do that and sort of you know take them yeah. almost as a, a being proactive. Yeah, I know. And like you said, it's it, there is the stigma around it. I remember like my parents talking about it when I was younger. Um, 
for some reason, I remember this comment mum said and she said, oh, she's on antidepressant, she's a bit crazy. And I think that's always stuck in my head. Um, And I think when the article came out, actually, mum called me and she said, you've changed my perception about it now. Um, And I guess she didn't know anyone close to her that went through it. So I guess when I went through it, she kind of understood it more and and educated herself more on it, Um, which which is why I'm really happy that that article came out and just educated people on it. Yeah, yeah. And and let's talk about that because you mentioned off air that, um, you know, you didn't really intend it to, to be so open. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what happened? You just they just started asking you questions the next minute. Yeah. So she called me up and she, you know, obviously talked about my ACL. Um, and she said, what, I think she said, what was the hardest thing about it? And I said, to be honest, I just went through depression and it was really, really tough. And once I hung up, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I've actually told a journalist this. Like, I really, really hoped that she didn't put it in the article. And of course, you know, a journalist is going to put that. It was the headline. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, Erikana goes through depression. (laughs) Um, But when it did come out, when when it came out, I was emotional. I think it brought back a lot of emotions, actually. And reading through it, you know... I was a bit tearful. I had just read it after a game, actually. Um, and then my teammates, we were in the Kōru Lounge, and I could see my teammates reading it as well. Um, but just seeing their support of it was just so, so cool. And I realised, actually, you know, I felt probably the loneliest I had in my life during those rehab days, but it was probably when I had the most people around me and supporting me. I just couldn't see it or I didn't know it at that time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I guess it may, you know, potentially it maybe happened by accident, but yeah. it's a huge amount of courage for you to say stuff like that, you know. And yeah. I, I think that's what you know is is so amazing about what you're doing because you know you do have a profile because of your you know your your your, your sport. Um, and I think that you know there's so many people that go through similar stuff that that don't you know when you do well on the netball court. You know, it makes the newspapers and people talk about it, and that's. But you know, it's not a common thing that that people are talking about. So it gives people a sort of that are going through it. I think it sort of normalises it a bit yeah. to see someone like yourself go, "Well, this happened to me, and this is what I did, and this is how I got out the other side." And and I'm kind of really thankful for it now because it's made me who I am. So I think it's um you know a huge you know kudos to for the courage you've you've showed to um you know, to, to express yourself like that. Mm. And, um, and yeah, and it's, it's always the people that are closest to you that you're most nervous about reading it. You know, I think which is, which is weird. I wrote a blog about it weirdly. I don't know why, but, and it was a similar thing for yeah. me. It sort of helps that when it sort of feels like it's out there now yeah. and, it's, and it's sort of done. Um, when it sort of happened, you know, you talked about before it was sort of like a bit of a, a grieving process and mm-hmm. you almost felt like you'd lost your identity a little bit. Yeah. I think that's a really important thing to touch on because, you know, when, you know, you're doing something like, you know, like you are, you know, you sort of, you know, you're you're Eric Hanna, the netballer. Yes. You know, and I think there's a lot of people in this day and age, whether it's sport or something else, they get really attached and they identify with what it is they do. Yeah. And again, you know, I don't mean to keep talking about Tim, but he was the same. He talked about, you know, I wasn't Tim the rugby player, mm. I was Tim that played rugby. Yes. And a very important distinction. And, yeah. um, you know, has it, has it changed the way you think about it now? And, and, and do you consider yourself a netballer? Mm. Or is, is that, you know, a similar thing to what Tim's talked about? Yeah, it's funny that you say that, actually, because I 
when I did my ACL, I asked my partner, I was like, if I am not playing netball, do you, like, would you still like me? Like, do you still like me? And he just looked at me and laughed and he was like, do you think I like you because you play netball? I was like, well, I mean, like, I am a netballer, like, <laughs> yeah. you know. And I think in that moment I was like, oh, okay, I'm actually not Ericana the netballer. I'm Ericana you know, a friend, I'm a sister, I'm a partner, um, I'm a teammate, I'm more than Ericana the netballer. And like you said, netball is just something I do. And I don't think that I thought about it like that until I went through my rehab journey and that actually netball is such a small part of my, well, it's a big part of my life, but I'm much more than that. Um, and I didn't realise that until I went through this this rehab journey, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to try and separate yourself from what it is you do, you know, mm. like you ask someone what they do and the first thing they always tell you is their job. Yeah. You know, maybe, that's, maybe that might be the intention of a particular question, mm. but... Um, you know, whether it's a netballer or you're a, you know, an accountant or a business, you know, owner or a lawnmower, you know, yeah. whatever it is, it's sort of really important, I think, to try and distance yourself slightly from that. So yeah. it's not, it doesn't define who you are because yeah. you, you can change. And, you know, you know, like you said, just because, you know, if you didn't play netball anymore, it doesn't mean that you weren't, you know, a fantastic sister yeah. or partner or friend yeah. or, you know, absolutely. What, when when things were tough for you, mm. what was sort of like, was there a, you know, a, a northern star? Was there something that, that you were aiming for or to get back or, or what sort of kept you going when it was tough? Um, I think just realising how many people were behind me made me want to work hard for them. Um, you know, like I said before, Shaz was a big part of me getting back and I couldn't have done it without her. Um so just having those people and having my little team that I was working for, um, yeah, I guess just made me, it helped me get out of bed every day. You know, I'd, some days I'd wake up and I just thought, I just can't do this today. I just want to be in bed all day, not go to the gym. Um, but I always think about this quote and it has something to do like, um, when you're lazy, you're disrespecting the people who believe in you. Um, and that's just a quote that I always thought of every day, that there were so many people backing me and who believed and that I could come back and play netball again, that I just didn't want to let them down. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's a good quote. That, um, sometimes you have to believe in the belief that other people have in you yes. until, until your own belief kicks yeah, in. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's interesting. Um and and now, and I guess you know you're you're sort of out the other side. I, I guess uh, when you step back and and you look at the journey that you've been through from you know since your injury, how do you think or feel about what's happened? Yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, I think from this journey, the thing that has come out of it is I define success differently now. Um, I think before, I just wanted to be the best. I wanted to be a silver fern. I wanted to be uh, the best wing attack in the ANZ Premiership. Um, but success means now just enjoying it and being grateful um, that I can play netball now. I think I was just saying before that in all of my photos that have been taken in games, I'm always smiling and people always hit me up and say, why are you always smiling? Like it actually annoys some people. But I said to them, if you've been through what I've been through, you would understand why I'm just so, so happy every time I get to do something that I love doing. And it's the honest truth. Um, 
so yeah, that's that's how I define success now is just enjoying it. Yeah, it's a great. Some of my questions are often, you know, how do you define success? And mm. it's funny as human beings, often it's not until we feel like we've almost lost something that yes. we really appreciate it, isn't it? Yep. It's like when you, you know, I had an, then my accident and I was in a, in a wheelchair and stuff, and and you know, thinking that you've lost you know, something like the ability to be able to walk or yeah. run and all of a sudden, you know, or be a netballer or whatever yeah. it is. And then, you know, like you said, it, it does give you some perspective. And I think the the trick is, which is very hard, but as to try and, as you're sort of alluding to, is is to figure out that the stuff you're, you know, without, don't have to wait until you risk losing it yeah. to appreciate it, yes. you know. Try yeah. and appreciate the little stuff that you have now, the roof over your head and, the, yeah. you know, the family and the friends mm. and the team and the success that you are having. Um, and that's a, you know, enjoying what you're doing is, is certainly a great definition of success. Mm. Um, and so how, how are you now? I'm really good. Yeah. You seem I, really good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in a really good place. And, you know, I um, am back in Auckland for a couple of months um, over Christmas and New Year's. And it has just been so nice um, to get out of that high performance environment and just enjoy training. Like you said, I love going out for runs now, um, you know, on the beach or in a forest or something. And I guess during that rehab, time, you know, you're doing the same old exercises every day and it kind of becomes a chore, but it's just been so nice this off season to enjoy the training that I'm doing and just do something different. Yeah, yeah. I'm so, so glad to hear. And it, it's, I, I was just thinking, you know, it, it's funny at the time when you go through something like a, an injury or a, or some, some mental sort of, um, you know, struggles. Mm. And at the time you resent it so much and mm. you think, gosh, I wish this had never happened. I wish I'd never done that. I wish yeah. I hadn't done that step or that jump. And and you spend so much time sort of, you know, ruminating on that. That, But when you get out the other side mm. and we're graced with things like experience and wisdom yeah. and hindsight and retrospect, that we actually look back and um, for me anyway, I go, well, you know, the, the adversity that I've overcome has actually made me the person that I am yeah. today. And I actually think that you get to wear that as armour now. Mm. You know, that's how I kind of describe it as it becomes your armour you get to wear. And it certainly seems like, you know, uh, this, uh, it'd be interesting if it's the same for you, but although I wouldn't wish what happened to me, to anyone, yeah. I'm actually really glad that it happened to me. Same. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so grateful that it happened to me. And not just you know, in terms of netball, but I feel like the tools I learnt from it will help me in life, you know, whatever life throws at me, I know that I can handle anything now. Um, and I'm just, you know, I'm not a very gushy person and I I hate giving myself compliments, but I'm also just so proud that I did that and had the courage to, one, ask for help, but also share my story as well. So I think that's... Um, something that I want to share more of um, next year especially and, and share my story with young adults and, and other people who have gone through adversity as well um, just to shed a light, yeah, that there is light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, again, you know, huge gratitude to you for, for doing this within the podcast and, and all the stuff you're doing because I, I do really believe that we need more heroes like you, you know, and, uh, and, and, and heroes in the fact that you're sharing something so, um, so raw and, and honest because, you know, you're obviously a hero to so many on the court, but I think mm. that, you know, it, it's good for those people that look up to you and in that respect to also, you know, 
find things like mental strength and, and, and your ability to overcome the adversity just as admirable as your ability to you know perform on the court. Um, so I guess when it comes to, to dealing with mental challenges and mm-hmm. in, in whatever field you're in, is there is there any advice that you'd give that you maybe haven't given already? Like what do you wish everyone knew as far as dealing with, with mental challenges? Could you summarize anything in a, in a sentence or a, or a phrase at all? Yeah, um, I guess just acknowledging that everyone does go through it um, at some point in in their life. Um, And I feel like if people would just educate themselves more on mental health, this world would be, you know, so much better. Um, And I guess we would understand each other more and be open to sharing, you know, this piece of ourselves to other people. Um, Because like you said, it is still a stigma and I think it will continue like this, um, which is a shame for for years to come. But if we can all just normalise it again, it it would be great. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, doing this hopefully will Mm. will, will help for that. And you said something interesting interesting off air before you talked about, you said, you just said then everyone goes through it. And what you said, you know, off air was that there's a spectrum of it. And it's quite, it's, and I'd never heard it described that way before. And and I guess what you're saying is that there's no, like, you don't just cross the line into the yeah. blackness of depression or yes. mental illness. It's like there is a, it's a scale. Yeah. And at any, in any time, we're all somewhere on that scale. Yeah. And, and we can drift one way and we can drift back. And there's probably certain behaviors and activities that are going to help us go one way and, and some behaviors and activities that will help us go the other way. But important to acknowledge that there is a spectrum yeah. and that we're all on it yes. and that, um, you know, it's it's a very volatile spectrum mm-hmm. and, and, and depending on, you know, who you are, you're probably more likely to slide faster than others, yes. but yeah, exactly. it certainly is the way. Um, so, I mean, what's what's next for you? We talked about, um, you know, what happened pre-netball. We've talked about your injury and your sort of journey through overcoming the the challenges that that, um, that ensued from that. Mm-hmm. What are you sort of, obviously you've got Christmas and New Year's mm-hmm. now, you're going to relax, enjoy family, then what? Uh, so, obviously we'll start pre-season end of Jan, so... Um, Really, really hoping to do one better with the tactics next season. Um, I'll be finishing my Bachelor of Commerce degree next year, which has taken me about 10 or 11 years part-time. So I'll be happy once that has finished. But I'm also um, really, really passionate about mental health now, and I'm really wanting to go to schools and and share my story um, with more people next year. So I'm really, really looking forward to that. Yeah, great. What a a cool mission that is. And then, you know, you're doing a a big comm. You know, you obviously got some some real interest in in sharing your story and helping people. Um, What's the, you know, do you think about life after netball at all? Yeah, I do. And I think I always have. I've been very grateful that my parents have always um, said that I need a backup plan at an early age, um, which is why I went and studied. Um, So I guess life after netball, I'm actually looking into uh, being a mortgage broker. So my mum was a mortgage broker a few years ago and then stopped doing that. So I might give that one a go. But yeah, it's crazy. I'm 26 and I still don't really, really know what I want to do in life. And I'm okay with that right now. I still think... I've got a few more years under my belt with netball, but I'm just going to see where life takes me. That's such a good attitude. Yeah. You seem to have a wonderful attitude and perspective on the world as a whole. But 
Um, oh, that's fantastic. And so um, obviously one better with the tactics, but also yeah. the silver ferns again would be yeah. add, add, add to your to your cap. It will, yeah. I, I don't want to be just, you know, the one cap silver fern. I want to be a little bit more than that. So, yeah, hopefully I can do it next next year. Oh, no doubt, no doubt, particularly with the, the attitude you have, I'm sure, yeah. no problem. So, hey, look, um, you know, I, I can't thank you enough for your time. It seems like that, um, as I've already stated a number of times, that the, the journey you've been through sharing it so openly is is, is hugely beneficial to, 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 to people everywhere. And I think that there'll be people listening to this now that, you know, are going through something, that have been through something, that just finding some, you know, sense of, um, you know, connection to the story because, you mm. go when someone expresses it, you go, oh, that's exactly the same yeah. as I was. And it just yeah. sort of normalizes it. So, so thank you so much. I'm incredibly grateful for your time. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for the work you're doing. And um, we wish you all the success both on and off the court. And uh, we look forward to, to following you further. Cool. Thank you. And there it is, Erikana Peterson. Man, how amazing is she? You know, I, I never knew what to expect when you're preparing for a, a podcast episode with someone to talk about depression and, and mental illness. I, I never was quite sure where, where it was going to go or how it was going to unfold. But, man, she is an amazing woman, and I, I really have to commend her on her openness to share her story so authentically. And, um, you know, I really think that she's got some wisdom and some insights in there that are going to make a huge difference. And, you know, not only is people... Uh, you know, people's ability to be successful, but in their ability to be healthy and well as well, which, you know, is, is almost more important. So, hey, look, if, if you or, or someone you know needed the episode today, needed to hear that conversation and Eric Arna's wisdom, then, um, you know, I really do hope it helped. And, um, you know, if there's someone else that might be in your sphere or in your orbit that you think, you know, could do with listening to an episode like this, then please do send it to them. Um, you know, I... I love having these conversations and, you know, I sit back after an episode like today and I think that, man, that was really powerful and I really hope that it can do some good in the world. So if there's someone that you know that might need it, then, you know, please share the episode, whichever platform you're listening to the episode on now, just hit share and send it directly to them. Otherwise, tell them to go and check out the Road to Success podcast on both Spotify and Apple podcasts as well. And if you could do me a favor as well, you know, you could uh, subscribe to the podcast, leave a review if you're on Apple Podcasts. It all means the world to me. But um, and more importantly, if there's someone you know that could could take something out of today and it could really have a positive influence on their health and well-being, then please just let them know to go and check it out. But that's it. That's it from me. Thank you so much for checking out the Road to Success podcast. Thank you for listening. And of course, thank you to Eric Arna. Have a great day. Love you. See ya. Bye. Thank you again so much for listening to the podcast. And look, before I do go, I just want to, you know, reiterate what I said at the start, that if there's something going on in your life at the moment and you're not too sure where to go next, then a really good step is to uh, to text or free call 1737. It's completely free of charge. You can do it 24 hours of the day. Whenever you need to, just free call or text 1737. You'll go straight through to a trained counsellor who will be more than happy and willing to talk to you about whatever's going on in your mind right now. Right now. So please, that number again, 1737, you'll go straight through to a trained counsellor and they'll be more than happy to talk with you. Take care.